Here is a plan, be brave, take the stand The confidence of a man is the heart's in his hand Heart's in his hand, so catch me if you can This is the plan, this is the plan, this is the plan Hi, and welcome to Dignity During a Pandemic, No One Left Behind podcast. My name is Wen Shan. And my name is Megan Vandergeesen. We're happy to be your hosts. The Dignity During a Pandemic podcast is a community project of the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights. This podcast is part of our YEG Dignity campaign in which we engaged with the lived experiences of folks in our community during a global pandemic. To open dialogue about the impacts of COVID-19 and how each of us navigates the struggles that surface and find hope and strength during these challenging times. In this week's episode, Wen talked to Ren Christensen from Free Transit Edmonton. Here, Ren shared their experiences as a community organizer fighting for a fair, free, good, just transit system, how they've mobilized art in this campaign, and how the intersections of art and organizing can work in tandem. Stay tuned to get on board. In the changing maze, my fate won't be erased. I still have faith, a bittersweet taste, a case of motivation. So my name's Ren Christensen. I use they, them pronouns. Geographically, I'm speaking from Treaty 6 territory, Miskwichi um, Westkaiken, uh, also known as Edmonton. Identity-wise, I'm queer, I'm trans, um, I'm also white, and yeah, so I guess that's uh, important to know in terms of where I'm speaking from. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We've been connected through this campaign called Free Transit Edmonton. How do those dimensions of yourself kind of play into the work that you do at Free Transit Edmonton? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one that I'm kind of kind of continuously figuring out for sure. I mean, base level, I, yeah, like I take transit and use transit a lot um, and have for most of my life. So that kind of immediately drew me in. But I think, I mean, what transit kind of represents in terms of, uh, you know, like connecting people, both like physically connecting them to where they're going, but also like the idea of connection, I guess, is uh, something that really, really interests me. And yeah, how that plays into, I guess, community. It's really something that everyone needs. Everyone needs that kind of physical connection to get places. And it's something that I didn't really think about in terms of how essential it is really until I started being involved with the campaign and really how like it's, it's a part of, it's a part of life as, as, uh, as much as, you know, any getting to different, uh, being in different spaces is essential to life and just a part of life. This campaign kind of really puts that into focus and, um, yeah, it's just something that I think really needs, uh, a lot more attention and a lot better accessibility than is happening right now. And it has happened. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. I really resonated with what you said about connection. I think obviously um, when you think of buses and trains and all that, that goes with public transit, you think of that way of just moving between places and that should be a thing everyone can access and everyone can use that's not the case for a lot of people. You also talked about how it's kind of more than that too. It's a way of connecting communities. It's kind of a social force that that drives people together and that 
everyone needs that connection, connecting people through place. Do you want to speak a little bit to how you kind of got involved with Free Transit Edmonton? Yeah, definitely. I think it was after last year's first kind of big climate march. Climate Justice Edmonton was uh, part of the march, and I'd also been kind of just following them on Instagram for quite a while, and uh, just kind of watching from afar what they were what they're doing and how they're organizing. And then, yeah, just after the climate march, I was like, yeah, I think I I would love to get involved with this. Uh, so I went to a little kind of introductory session that they that they held to kind of uh, show what they're about. And after that, they were kind of had different working groups going on and free transit was just kind of getting going and launched yet. Yeah, I just really gravitated towards uh, towards free transit. I think especially when talking like climate justice, a lot of times things can feel really like big and theoretical. At least that's kind of how I saw things really before getting involved. And free transit just seemed like just like a, a no-brainer and something that really hits home for a lot of people. So yeah, I just kind of thought that that was a good place to start. Awesome. Yeah, I think too that it can be kind of inapproachable to get involved with a lot of the climate justice stuff going on because it can feel so theoretical, like you said, and kind of inaccessible Yeah, in the language and just how it works sometimes, how it's led a lot of times by privileged people often, but it's mostly going to impact more marginalized groups. I think that's a very important thing to recognize, but also realize that it's rooted back and informed by the very people that's going to impact most. It's going to impact everyone, but disproportionately so. I guess kind of launching off of that, during these COVID times, we have seen transit be free for a short while. Yeah. We know public transit is very much an essential part of keeping communities, services, society as a whole connected. Why is this important and why should public transit be free to you? Because I have, uh, I'm someone who's like relies on transit. Like I probably could if I really wanted to and like have the time and I could learn how to drive kind of thing. But it's really just not something that's, that's kind of solidified for me. I have a lot of anxieties around driving. So for me personally, like I, I really do rely on it spending the money for it wasn't, it was certainly a factor for me, but it's, um, wasn't so much of a, um, a question of like, can I, am I able to do this or like, should I buy food kind of thing? It wasn't, it wasn't like that for me, fortunately enough for me, but for a lot of people it is. And I know because I've seen it happen where someone doesn't have like the $3 and 50 cents to get on a bus and you know a lot of uh, transit operators are pretty lenient with it some some aren't and you know that's not a fault on them but it's uh how this system works and it's not something that people outside of that situation need to think about a lot of the time especially in like a city like Edmonton where it is very you know it's a car truck driven, uh, <laughs> no pun intended, um, very car-focused city. Not many people 
have to think about how they're going to navigate the city. And um, for those who do, it's a, it's a major, major factor. And to me, it just seems like something that is, yeah, really intrinsic to the way that we live. You need to be able to get from place to place. And it shouldn't be something that you strain yourself to do, both financially and physically. So it's really something that everyone needs. And it's not really something that you can deny in any substantial way that people need this. Because, for instance, you, you need to get to your job to make a living. You need to be able to actually get there reliably. And it really is something that everyone everyone needs and everyone needs to access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for that. The system of transit relies on the hands of those with power, mm-hmm. but they're supposed to be serving the people. And oftentimes it falls short and it doesn't have to. We know that transit, free transit, has happened in many places. If we like just look to our neighbors in Calgary, they have a free line downtown. We know it can happen. And even in car intensive places, not everyone can have a car, not everyone can drive, not everyone can afford a car. We have to think about how we don't leave anyone behind. And really it's about what our system is prioritizing. We can have enough if we prioritize people. So maybe we can talk a bit about what good transit even is. Well, first of all, um, a lot of people are going to get tripped up between the free and good. They think before we even think about making it free, it needs to be more uh, expanded service kind of thing. But really, they're not mutually exclusive concepts. Like making it free makes it good. And in fact, expanding service alone really isn't going to address all the shortcomings of public transit. And I think the good, it does mean like expanded service and, you know, more frequent service, but it also means what does safety look like on transit? A lot of the times that safety is a question for a lot of people. Transit enforcement is a real issue and really disproportionately affects BIPOC transit riders. And we know this both from people's lived experiences. It's a, it's a pretty common experience, unfortunately. And there's also data to support it. A lot of Indigenous riders are disproportionately targeted for both tickets and warnings, and the same for Black transit riders. And that's a huge component also in what good transit looks like, is the elimination of any sort of enforcement on transit. And that also kind of relates to safety of women and queer and trans folks who also use transit. And I think a lot of the times that question of how do we make transit safer also demands a shift in the institutions that are a lot of the times thought of as safe. Obviously, policing is not the solution. And we've seen even in the past with fares being reintroduced, also corresponding to a increase in enforcement on transit, specifically also targeting low-income folks, people just trying to trying to get around. I think something that is often kind of not really in that conversation, or at least not broadly, is safety in, in numbers. And certainly now it's a little more difficult to, you know, have that a reality. But um, 
increased ridership does mean that more people are on transit and more people are witnessing other people on transit. Safety in that sense. That safety piece. I think the movement happening right now is around community care and how we can shift away from the norms we've been forced into, like policing and institutional enforcement, and say on how we care for one another when we know that community can also step in and play such a vital part and and do it much better in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, like you were saying, part of that free part of making transit good is relieving those barriers and challenging those norms that we should be paying for something that everyone should have access to, no matter what. I guess what really sticks out to me with the work that you do is how your own interests and passions with art have translated into a huge part of our campaign. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Art was something, yeah, I have been doing before I joined the campaign. And I didn't really think that, oh, this would be a good place to put those skills to use. But in um, one of the meetings that we were having about what you feel like you can contribute to the campaign, it was kind of coaxed out of me, I guess, that I really love love doing art. And uh, yeah, just one of my personal passions. And it kind of, you know, gave me the confidence to connect my art with free transit stuff and drew that first um, little Jerry bus uh, drawing. It's uh, basically just uh, Jerry. He's a corgi, um, <laughs> infamous, infamous corgi as the cat bus from my neighbor Totoro and, and shared it with the rest of the free transit group. And everyone was like, Oh, this is so cute. And it was, it was a really just lovely experience initially and getting it out there that, oh, in my mind, at least it, it does have a, have a part in this campaign. But then we kind of started thinking about like, how can we harness that and, you know, make it into uh, something that connects other people to the campaign and came up with the art contest, which uh, we kind of encourage people to create art and a design inspired around transit it was it was just a really exciting thing because for me, one of the main ways that I communicate my thoughts and ideas, sometimes I do kind of have trouble articulating with words what exactly I'm thinking and, you know, to kind of encourage other people to share their own ideas and perspectives about transit is really exciting to me. And yeah, it's just a very rewarding thing to have people engaging in this in this particular way. Especially right now, it's kind of that, you know, isolation is more of a factor. It's a nice point of connection to share and um, got me also to kind of contribute more to the campaign. You know, I did create a few of my own designs that uh, kind of serve as inspiration for for people to kind of get them involved. And um, yeah, I think art has a way of really giving people a lot of agency in a way that is very instantly kind of recognizable by people even that don't or you know can't don't want to participate in something like that it's still very visible to others obviously it's a it's a visual kind of uh, form of expression um, especially if someone that was kind of new to organizing and didn't really 
know exactly where I fit in sometimes to what it looks like. It was just a really kind of strong connection for me that kind of solidified like, yeah, I really want to be a part of this. And I think it, it can really mobilize people, but I think it also kind of, you know, we need to take that mobilization further for sure. But it's, it's, a, it's a very nice kind of start for that. Mm-hmm, definitely. A big thing that stuck with me that, and I, that I learned through organizing is it takes a lot of people. You can't do it by yourself. And everyone has their own little nugget or their own piece in a bigger puzzle. We're all part of something bigger than ourselves. And it takes that kind of connection to your own strengths and your own passions to feel that big connection. So I'm so happy that it kind of aligned that way with art for you. And it helped to inspire and and move a lot of people outside of our little group of organizers to feel connected in this work too, in ways that, that they can do just in their homes with the supplies they have. What I really like about your art and a lot of the art that we received in the, the art contest was that it was unpolished. You could tell it was just normal people making it. So I guess tying back to the social justice piece we talked a little bit about before, mm-hmm. you know that public transit is not just a system that exists in isolation, it's intrinsically connected to to our political leadership and their priorities, the existing injustices that it has to function Mm -hmm. within. So how do you do kind of relate to this? Sometimes it's difficult to kind of understand what it exactly like, okay, we know that transit relates to all these things and further marginalizes people with its own, its own shortcomings and its own, the ways that it's inaccessible to people. I guess how I relate to it is both in terms of like my own experience in that, you know, I am fairly privileged. You know, I use transit. It's not so much of a, a strain for me sometimes, but it is, it is definitely a point of anxiety for me. And I think sometimes that can, at least for me, I've kind of downplayed that because it really is navigating the world, you know, outside of my own kind of bubble uh, can be really, really difficult, kind of scary. And if I'm kind of searching through my pocket for uh, coins to pay to get on a bus somewhere, it really magnifies that. But on a bigger scale, I know that my experience is the intensity is a lot and frequency of that anxiety and outright, you know, fear is a lot more for for other people who don't have the same privileges I do. And it's something that I think talking to more people about transit, obviously you're not really gonna know those people's experiences without them sharing it with you. And that kind of relates back to that connection between how we talk about these issues. It really needs to be not just one kind of voice, you know, every kind of voice that uh, has those kinds of experiences of marginalization on transit and because of transit, because it really is a tool that in, in and of itself to further marginalization. And things like, you know, access to resources, they, like I said, it it is a, it's a right and people are denied that right all the time. And transit is a big part of that, you know, where certain neighborhoods are being serviced over other neighborhoods in terms of transit. Those things don't happen 
just because of chance. Like majority racialized neighborhoods are often vastly underserviced in terms of transit. And that's a conscious decision, a conscious choice by the the city planners and governments that enable that method of exclusion and marginalization. So when we're talking about transit as it relates to marginalization, it it needs to be really transformed totally because if it can be, and it can be, shifted into a service that truly does serve people, serve, serves them well, and serves them without any threat of violence or, you know, persecution and because they're not able to pay or because they are not able to access it otherwise. When we transform it that way and see that it has the potential to become that kind of public service, I think that's really what makes me think like, yes, we can, we can get there. Yeah, talking about this kind of transformation that has to happen for transit to be good for everyone. I think we have to question a lot of the norms we live in where classism, racism, exclusion, et cetera, happens every single day, but we're kind of just forced to accept that. And that shouldn't be the case. I really liked the thing you said about navigating the world outside your own bubble. I think when we think about transit too, we have to think beyond our little scope. We have to think about everyone who faces more oppression and different circumstances than us and how we can center their voices in this movement to make transit good and free. I wanted to talk a bit about how we've kind of utilized Mm -hmm. personal narratives to connect people together who face different challenges and see this problem in different ways. Do you want to kind of speak about the Fair Free Forever campaign a little? Yeah, for sure. So the, the Fair Free Forever campaign is, um, it's a digital campaign on our social media that we kind of focus on the narratives of different people around why they think that transit should be Fair Free and Fair Free Forever kind of capitalizing, it, started, it kind of started as uh, fairs were reintroduced, you know, highlighting that it should be a forever thing and, uh, giving the voice to people who, you know, have different experiences with transit and highlighting their, their thoughts. And uh, is really something that, like you said, really needs to be centered when we're talking about good transit. Uh, it can't just be good for some people. It really won't be until it is working for everyone. Yeah, so we really wanted to get it out there that, um, Transit riders are are a group of people and, you know, they have their own individual experiences and those experiences uh, need to be taken into consideration into the whole of, you know, group of transit riders and that we are a group and there's power as a group. We can have those different narratives really getting into what people want to see from transit and what transit can be. Yeah, to me reading through, um, well, to paint a picture, I guess, about what this kind of looks like. If you you go on Mm -hmm. our Instagram page, if you look through 
all the responses, mm -hmm. they're, they're different and they're all valid. And we need to address all the things within transit and how we can make mm -hmm. it good for everyone. Yeah, totally. That's, that's, yeah, it's completely true. And we need to also kind of realize like all these, you know, narratives that we've collected, they're important and yet they represent these individuals. Then we're kind of elevating their individual voices and with that, we also kind of need to recognize like what voices are maybe not as present and how can we bring those voices into the conversation? Because there's always room for, for growth with that. Totally. Even though we're, I guess, just a group of like young people organizing and oftentimes we don't feel like we have power, but I think we do have a lot of power that that can feel like we're in a position of authority over others. And I think this mm -hmm. campaign just um, kind of opens it up to empower others, like you said, and that can reach beyond just this group into other people's lives who don't have the capacity to do all the organizing work. It's just, we can't do everything all at once. Yeah, exactly. And that's something we, yeah, are continuously want to grow and, you know, work towards doing better. How do we build those relationships so that, that those kinds of shifts of power and, you know, empowering others, that's something that we trying to do more of and uh, working, definitely working to make that a reality for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this kind of reminds me of intent versus impact. Even though it's in our eyes for something good, it can actually be the opposite for many folks. So yeah. I think with social justice work, there has to be the ongoing reflection and recuperation of, of all the things that are, are moving because it moves fast. And sometimes you have to set aside that time to step back and kind of pick it apart, dismantle it like Ikea furniture. And if you can't do it all at once, you have to be really intentional about how you dismantle that. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to plug, Ren, about your own work or more free transit Edmonton stuff? Yeah, uh, we'll definitely, yeah, follow free transit on Instagram at free transit YEG. And I think it's the same handle for Twitter. If not, you can search free transit Edmonton and we'll show up. Um, or just go on our website too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Free transit Edmonton dot CA. Uh, yeah, we've got all the links there. I mean, for myself, I mean, I have an Instagram, but I don't really update it much. Um, <laughs> But if you're so inclined, it's at Astro Goblin. Thank you so much, Ren, for all your insightful thoughts and for sharing all that you're doing. And yeah, thanks. This was really lovely. Thank you so much for having me. And that is all from Free Transit Edmonton organizer, Ren Christensen. Thank you so much, Ren, for your contribution to discuss how the right to mobility and the importance of community 
gifts, access, and connection is integral to our understanding of our individual, collective, and shared humanity. Thank you for riding along with us to the end of this week's episode of Dignity During a Pandemic, No One Left Behind. We produced this show on Amiskwichiwaskaigan, also known as Treaty 6 Territory, Edmonton. We recognize land acknowledgements are only a small part to engage in ongoing reflection, practice, and action against the legacies of colonialism that impact us today. You can follow Free Transit Edmonton's work on their Twitter and Instagram or on their website at freetransitedmonton.com. Future episodes from amazing contributors in our community are soon to come. Please stay on the lookout for our next show. Thank you to our funders, the City of Edmonton, and the Family and Community Support Services Program who have made this podcast a reality. And thank you so much to CJSR 88.5 FM for airing this podcast. For full transcripts of this interview or to view past projects of the YEG Dignity Campaign, please visit our website at jhcenter.org. We've been your host, Megan Vandergeesen. And Wen Chan. And we hope to be here with you next time. Yeah.